Thursday, 18th of September 2014. This is HPR episode 1599 entitled Interview within Martina from the Merit ETS Project. It is hosted by Ken Fallen and is about 86 minutes long. Feedback can be sent to ken at fallen.ie or by leaving a comment on this episode. The summary is Ken interviews in Martina from the Merit Text to Speech Project. This episode of HBR is brought to you by anhonesthost.com. Get 15% discount on all shared hosting with the offer code HPR15. That's HPR15. Better web hosting that's honest and fair at anhonesthost.com. Hi, everybody. My name is Ken Fallon, and today I'm talking to Ingmar Steyer. Is that correct? Steyer, yes. Hi. Hi, and you're from the Miri TTS project. Could you um, tell us a little bit about what Miri uh, text-to-speech is? Uh, it is actually a, uh, a text-to-speech platform written in Java that is uh, open source and has been around for well, nearly 15 years now. Um, it started out as a project at the Institute of Phonetics at Saarland University in Saarbrück in Germany um, and uh, was developed mostly at DFKI, that's the German Research Center for Artificial Intelligence, um, which has a, a branch here on campus. I'm in Saarbrücken as well. Um, that uh, there, There's a language technology lab there, and that's where uh, the main, uh, well, the, the main architect, designer, programmer, and basically everyone uh, the, the, the god of the project, uh, Mark Schroeder, um, spent uh, a lot of his time. Uh, so it was conceived as a uh, as a uh, as an in-house text-to-speech synthesis tool for various projects. Uh, so DFKI has a, a number of public and industrial projects, um, and they needed some sort of solution, and they um, decided to just roll their own. And uh, it just so happens that Mark. Mark Schroeder, um, was uh, just working on his PhD at the time in, in phonetics, and he was very interested in emotional speech, and especially in, in synthesizing emotional speech. So that was his, his main research interest. And mm-hmm. he basically designed Mary from the ground up to be modular, so that basically you can plug different things together to achieve different ends, um, but also always with the application side of things in clear view, because it was always meant to be a component that would actually be used as middleware by other projects, like spoken dialogue systems, that kind of thing. Um, and also the, the personal research interest of Mark was, uh, as I said, emotional synthesis. So that was always something that was kind of built in or, or one, of the, one of the capabilities that was supposed to be developed and was to a certain extent also achieved. And that's kind of how it started. Uh, back in 2000 or so. Could you tell us what emotional synthesis is? Uh, yeah. So essentially when I 
when I use regular off-the-shelf TTS systems, um, they sound pretty boring. They're they're essentially just very monotonous, or or maybe even if they have a little bit of lively speech and built in, then it's it's typically also kind of artificial and flat. And uh, emotional synthesis is a way to to convey human emotion or expressivity uh, through parameters such as um, pitch or, or a duration or voice quality. Um, and basically I can, I can sound happy and then I have a different pitch range or angry. And then I, I sound, more, I don't know, my, my voice, my voice is more harsh or whatever, you know? And um, if I'm a little depressed or something, then I guess I sound quieter and I speak more slowly and things like that. So those were those were kind of the things that that Mark was interested in, uh, how to model these things and to model them basically using using synthesis as a tool to uh, uh, to discover what it is exactly that makes things or make, that makes people and by extension artificial agents um, convey emotion or uh, express emotions in this way. So that's that was kind of always an implicit deliverable, but um, not something that is typically used for. Although it can be. What are what are the main applications for it? Um, there's actually quite a number of different applications that it's been used for in the, uh, in the past. So, um, I, I mentioned spoken dialogue systems, uh, or, or, um, what we like to call intelligent virtual agents. Uh, so some 3d avatar that, that has actual spoken audio. So you see him, you see a, a virtual character on the screen and when he talks, it's actually synthetic speech, um, or perhaps a, uh, a spoken dialogue system that actually talks well the, we have a couple of, of dummy toy projects in house actually that like a speaking elevator that greets you when you walk in and, and you can tell it which, which floor to go to or whose office you're looking for and it'll bring you to the right floor that kind of thing mm-hmm. um but uh or or speech to speech translation systems there is a there was actually a, a project that we used mary for a couple years ago um that was in dublin actually where um, the uh, we, we wired up a, a little a little toy project using a speech recognition, uh, then automatic translation, and then spoken output. And we used a uh, a webcam to uh, detect the emotion from the speaker. So if he's smiling, we would assume he's happy. If he has like kind of if he knits his brow, then he must be angry, that kind of thing. And we map that onto different expressive output styles in the synthetic speech. So if you, if you look angry and say, guten tag, then maybe it would say, or well, actually it was English to German only. So you, you look angry at the camera and you say, oh, good day to you. Um, and the system would translate it as uh, guten tag, as opposed to guten tag, if you're smiling while you're saying Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's... it's um, so those are coming a couple of the things that that Mary has been used for. There is a, uh, uh, I believe, there's a, uh, a school for blind children in Tibet that uh, actually uses a very early version of of Mary, where uh, Tibetan support was developed in a student software project that was back in 2005 or so. And I think they're, I'm not sure, but they might still be using it today. Um, so that's actually something that's uh, very useful for a lot of people. Um, and of course, there's increasing demand for for screen readers. Um, although I have to say that there are a couple of uh, of issues with with uh, using Mary TTS for screen readers, where it just falls behind uh, other solutions. 
And those, um, simply, those would be? Uh, well, there has been a, a couple of problems with the, the long uh, startup times and the latency, so before it actually starts speaking. And those are some things that we can address, but um, unfortunately, we don't really have a project at the moment that, uh, that focuses on these things. So um, we don't have anyone to, to actually address those, those things directly. So uh, um, that'd be nice. Yeah. Yeah, I just want to split in here just for our mm-hmm. own uh, community uh, to tell our own listeners. I think the we've started doing using eSpeak as the introductory text-to-speech um, to give a synopsis of what the uh, particular episodes are going to be. Uh, I think for this episode, I'm going to use uh, Mary TTS to do that. Um, so people will get an idea of, actually, I'll do both. I'll do the eSpeak and I'll do the Mary text-to-speech so people will get a, an idea of the differences of, of what we were talking about. But my main reason for having you on and interviewing you is because uh, many of our listeners will know that Jonathan Nadu, who is one of the, uh, he's a bl- blind listener himself, has a project from the Accessible Computing Foundation, mm-hmm. and they use Mary, text, Mary uh, text-to-speech as, a, um, as their tool for um integrating with speech dispatcher mm-hmm. which yes. interested me greatly i must say so i will absolutely get jonathan on to you to see how uh, he if there's anything that he can do to uh, assist you out mm-hmm. um okay sorry that was a that slight be, that introduction yeah um yeah no we're we're um so i'm jumping uh, over a couple of years of history i i need to mention that mary tts today is very much an open open source and community driven project. So it's been on, on GitHub for a couple of years now, and that makes it much, much easier to accept contributions from, from, uh, from other users. Uh, before it's it wasn't, in, it's written, it's written in, Java. in Java. Yeah. And it's under the GPL version. It's actually under the LGPL. So that oh, makes indeed. it very friendly to businesses as well. So there are a couple of, of voice portals and other companies that are other, uh, that are using it, um, for commercial purposes. And that's fine. Um, so yeah, that makes it that makes it more accessible in an in an enterprise setting as well. Now I um I will admit that I downloaded and tried to use it myself. My main use case, I have to tell you, is um my daughter has dyslexia, and I played. Mm. Uh, she benefits from having people read stuff to her because uh, mm-hmm. she can understand it quite easily. Yes. Um. And when I had the computer read text-to-speech in the Dutch voice using eSpeak, she um, just came out of her room in tears. She thought that (laughs) the computer was angry with her and stuff. (laughs) So my goal is to have my wife um, create a voice based on my wife's um, uh, uh, Mm soft-spoken voice so that as she's reading her text, it's the sound of her mother, or at least a synthesized sound of her mother coming back. Mm-hmm. And this seemed to be something that Mary TTS could do. So I wonder, Absolutely. could you tell me about the components? Because I found it, well, you mentioned about the latency and startup, and it, mm. re, I would also throw in resource hog in there as well. Yes, yes. It depends on what you use as an engine, yes. So could you just tell, give us a bit of a technical background as to the architecture, what, what you absolutely need and what you don't need for okay. that sort of scenario? Okay, so to start out, um, what Mary TTS does is it ties in a couple of different modules, and some of those the the basic building or sorry the the basic building blocks are these so called modules um, that are Mary internal. So we'll, we'll call them Mary modules or just modules for short for now. And 
they pass around data. And each module has an input type and an output type. And these different output types are variants of a certain kind of data. And the data itself is actually uh, uh, an XML format. Uh, we call it Mary XML, uh, which is a container for, mm-hmm. for information. And uh, then at the end, also the actual audio. So what happens is that you have a certain input type, let's say text, and you want a certain output type, let's say audio. And the system itself, the, the so-called module registry, determines what the optimal path is through all the modules that are needed to process it from text to audio and all the inter- intermediate stages. And every one of those stages will be created by a different module that takes the input processes it and enriches it and passes on the enriched output to the next module in the in the pipeline and that's pretty much how that works how is that now, why is that so complex when something like eSpeak, you know you just say say this and it says it um it's not as complex as you think because the modules themselves are um well okay let me back up um there are a couple of different things that need to be done to text before it can be actually read out by uh, by some sort of synthesis engine. Now, eSpeak uses, I believe, a Foreman synthesizer, uh, which means that it generates low-level acoustic parameters and and then uh, just renders it as as as, uh, as acoustics, as audio, as as wave samples or whatever. Yeah. Um, and there are a couple of other engines out there as well. There's the unit selection engine, which is the resource hog you spoke of, because that actually loads into memory or, or not. It actually, you can't read it from the from the disk, but it needs a lot of memory to, to organize a huge database of spoken units. So you record, I don't know, hours of audio. Um, it needs to be processed and annotated offline. And then once you have all that, you can load it into memory and use it as a TTS voice. And what it does is it looks for units in that database and just concatenates them together in the best possible way. Um, and then the output is hopefully something that sounds almost as natural as human speech. And it might have a few glitches depending on whether or not it found the right units or whether it needed to back off to suboptimal units. And that's the thing that's still kind of used in server-side applications where naturalness is paramount. Um, but the trend is strongly heading towards uh, something that is more similar to, to uh, form and synthesis, but um, uses a slightly high level, uh, more, more high-level machine learning based approach so uh, hmms are trained uh, on on uh, for for each acoustic unit if you want and then uses a vocoding technique to to regenerate the audio using uh, something that well okay the, the approach results in something that is a little bit buzzy and a little bit too smooth but much more uh, much nicer and uh, than than just raw form and synthesis and you can actually recognize the identity of the speaker on, on which these these models were trained, okay, um, cool. and and so those are those are some of the some of the more popular techniques right now. There is also something that is similar to unit selection that was used in the nineties, if you will, um, where basically you only have one instance of every unit. Uh, that's called the diphone synthesizer. Um, Embrola is one that was uh, quite popular and is actually still used because it gives you very very precise control over the way in which things are pronounced if you need that. Uh, but other than that, it doesn't sound very natural. Um, and there are a couple of experimental things that, that people use. There is a uh, harmonics plus noise system that basically tries to parameterize the uh, the uh, periodic aspects of the of the acoustic signal and to store the stochastic parts. So basically, it stores the noise but tries to parameterize the um, 
the the harmonics of your voice, if you will, and and tries to manipulate those things in such a way that you can actually change the way in which something is spoken without it sounding unnatural. But that's more an experimental system. And there's something else uh, entirely, which is more like uh, sound simulation or speech simulation uh, called, sorry, articulatory synthesis. And there we have an uh, essentially a vocal tract model, a three-dimensional vocal tract model, and we simulate how sound propagates from the glottis or from the, from the larynx uh, through the oral cavity and through the nasal cavity to be rendered as, um, uh, well, as, as acoustic audio. Sorry, my screensaver kicked in there. Let me just disable it. Um, there we go. Okay. And so that, that's actually something that is uh, very experimental and uh, where a student of mine just uh, very recently integrated it with Mary. So that, that is another technique that we can use. But I wouldn't call it production-ready. So what happens in production or just the, the user side of things is you, you enter some text or you, I don't know, whatever, you, you provide some text input, and this text input needs to be pronounced somehow. And the intermediate stages are to look up the pronunciation of all those words. And, of course... It's not as simple as just looking them up word by word in some sort of pronunciation dictionary because you're not going to find all of these words in, in any given dictionary, mm-hmm. um, particularly names or some other uh, different word forms, depending on, on which language it is. I mean, there, there might be uh, English is actually quite simple because there isn't that much morphology in the English language. The words don't really change that much. Um, but other languages would have uh, much more complexity in their in their in their uh, linguistic morphology. Um, so you need some sophisticated processing there of those words to find out how to look them up in the first place. Um, but more to the point, at some point you're going to have to back off and use some sort of either pronunciation rules or um, some sort of statistical model to predict the pronunciation of words that you don't know. Uh, how they're pronounced. And that produces some sort of phone sequence or a sequence of of phonetic units, we'll call them phones. And those can then be passed on to the the synthesis backend. But there's more. There's also the the tone of voice, the the actual duration of each phone that needs to be predicted. Because if you you say every sound in exactly the same, well, with with exactly the same duration, it's going to sound like nothing uh, that you've ever considered speech. so the the segmental durations, the, uh, the the intonation, all those things have to be predicted in such a way that what comes out is actually um, understandable and hopefully even more more or less natural. And um, beyond that, if you have certain things that need to be stressed or accented in a certain way to con- to, to focus on certain things, so maybe you're you're trying to. Um, articulate some sort of contrast. You have a contrastive accent. You're talking about uh, uh, not, it wasn't John, it was Mary who went to the pub yesterday or something like that. Um, You you want the word Mary to be pronounced differently than if you just talk about, I don't know, just out of the blue, uh, Mary went to the pub yesterday. So there you have a completely different intonation. Um, And things like that are, well, they depend in a certain way on, on knowledge that is not actually in the text. So it's very much an interpretation of the text when we read it out. And the computer doesn't really know how to do that because he has no, no knowledge of any of these entities that we're referring to. So it kind of goes in the direction of, of, of natural language understanding before you can even tackle some of these more high-level 
problems in predicting the pronunciation of something. But anyway, once you have the acoustic parameters that you want, then the next challenge is to actually render them into, into acoustics. And that's what you do with one of these engines. So uh, form and synthesis, HMM, unit whatever. Um, so it's actually a two-stage process. Um, at, the, at the very rough level, you would have the text preprocessing up to the point where you know what the acoustics should be like. And then you want to actually generate them based on your predicted parameters. And I haven't looked wow. inside... Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> wow, that's complicated. <laughs> Oh, yeah, sorry, it's a, it's a bit of a mouthful, but uh, anyway, uh, stop me if I'm, if I'm rambling. No, 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 but I'm, I'm following along. I okay. think this is fascinating. Keep going. Okay, um, yeah, and I, ha- I have to admit I haven't looked inside of eSpeak, but I would be very surprised if it doesn't at some level uh, follow the same pipeline, except maybe it's not, not breaking it up into as many different sub-steps and modules that actually process these things explicitly but kind of just doing all of one thing in one class and then passing it on to the, to, to the acoustics or whatever. I don't know. Um, but the, at, at the end of the day, these synthesis or text-to-speech synthesis is always about those things that, have, that, I was, that I mentioned. So you have to predict the pronunciation, predict acoustic parameters from text in, in some way, and then render it in some other way. Okay, so, wow, that's, uh, that's not... I suppose the the first part is the predicting the the waveforms is the difference between having a good reader and a, you know somebody who can really a good narrator of a story versus a bad narrator of a story. When I read a, a storybook to the kids, it's just boring and flat. And when my wife reads it, it's really exciting and and uh, thrilling and stuff. Hmm. Um, yeah, I don't even know try- how you would do that on a computer. To be honest. <laughs> Actually, it's it's uh, terribly simple. Um, some people have tried to create expressive voices simply by just reading out a really boring text in an exciting way. Uh, and whatever they get out, I mean, you can read the phone book in an exciting way, and, and that's what it sounds like. Um, so with some of these some of these uh, voice building techniques, like unicellection or, um, or or HMM based synthesis, if you put in one kind of data, the whole thing is just flavored in in a, in a happy way or in a more um, engaged way, and then it implicitly sounds like that for everything it says. Um, so that's that's one way to get around that. So when people try to do some sort of uh, happy, sad, angry, expressive voices, what they one one rather simple approach is to actually partition your data into those different kinds of recordings, and to just say, okay, well, this is the the happy part of the voice. I'm going to record lots of stuff that sounds happy. Build a voice out of it. I'm going to record an angry voice with the same data, but make it sound angry. And then you can switch these voices at runtime, um, depending on whether you need a happy or angry voice. Uh, so right, that, right, right, that right. works. Yeah. And okay. Yeah. If you like, I can, I can kind of back up a little and, and go back to kind of the, the history of Mary TTS, because that some of those things were, were projects in, in its history. Um, yeah, no far ahead. Yeah. We have all the time in the world here in HPR. Oh, good. Okay, so I mentioned that Mark Schroeder was the, uh, the, the mastermind behind Mary uh, for many years. And um, it's, for, for, the, for the community, it's rather sad that he left because he went to work for Google a couple of years ago. And that, so he kind of had to remove himself from the, from the project. Um, mm-hmm. um, and it's been a bit slow since then. So that, that, um, but before he left, so he left in 2000, 
2012, I believe. Um, so in the, in the dozen or so years before he left, uh, there were some ups and downs as well. So mostly it was him working on it by himself. It was kind of his, his pet project, if you will. And at DFKI, he also had other things to do to work on. So he didn't always have time to to develop Mary further, although he had very clear ideas on, on some of the things that would be cool to do. And many of those he actually did manage to get done by applying for funding for projects that specifically did these things. So the first rather interesting larger funding that he received was a project called Pavok, uh, which was about the parameterization of voice quality and prosody for synthesis. Um, and that was a project funded for three years by the German Research Council. Um, I think it was from, actually it was split up into two years and then another year tacked on a bit after a bit of a hiatus. Um, and that was interesting because for the first time he was able to get people actually to, well, to, to actually hire researchers to work with him on Mary, uh, where previously it was basically just him and occasionally the odd student project or, or a student assistant who would be able to implement a little bit of something or other, uh, but no continuity in the development really. Um, and that's kind of reflected also in the code style, unfortunately, because different people over the years worked on different parts and the, uh, they all had their, their little, I mean, some of these people were, were still, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. um, hardly anyone who worked on Mary was actually a, a thoroughbred programmer. So a lot of them were just basically students in computational linguistics, um, who were learning Java as they went. Hello. In itself. Yes. Hello. Can you hear me? Uh, uh, you seem to drop out after learning Java when it went. Oh, sorry. Um, uh, okay. I forgot what exactly I said, but anyway. Most so of them were there, students, yeah. Yeah, okay. So there were some, some students um, over the years who were working on it as either like a, a software project that they needed as, a, as one, of their, one of their courses, or maybe they, um, there was a little bit of money left over for student assistants who would be able to, to work on one aspect or one feature for a couple of months or something. So there, there was no real continuity besides Mark working on it. But that changed with the with this DFG project Pavok because that uh, Mark was able to hire a, a postdoctoral researcher uh, to work with him for three years on this on the system, and that was fantastic. Um, unfortunately, what happened after one year was that the uh, the postdoc decided to take a job in the industry as well, uh, 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 well preferred to to leave for for a better paying job elsewhere, and so he had to hire another postdoc. And this other postdoc, of course, came with a completely different background and different expectations. So they were working on different things, but within the scope of that project. But again, after one year, um, funding was, well, there was a, a bit of a hiccup in the funding. Um, and so that person didn't want to hold his breath and also left for another industry job. And by the time that the third year uh, of this project got funded, there was another postdoc who had to come in and kind of step up. And, and do something else. And that, that happened to be me. So this was in 2010. Um, so I had just finished my PhD at the time. And uh, I had been working with articulatory synthesis. Uh, and I didn't really have much Java background myself. Um, but I really, really learned a lot during that year. And um, that was, I mean, that wasn't just an amazing time. Um, it was really, really great to be working with Mark. And it wasn't just the two of us. There was also a um, a European grant uh, in a project called Semain that was even bigger than the than the Pavuk project. This one had, uh, I think, half a dozen partners in different European countries working on components for a for an emotional 
multimodal dialogue system. So uh, it's actually pretty neat. They had they had a virtual character on screen that would uh, react to your own mood or the the way that you're talking. So it also integrated the webcam. It integrated various uh, feature detection algorithms in uh, for for facial features, um, voice features, all kinds of things. Um, and it would try and gauge the emotional state of the user, and it would try and manipulate that state as well. So if you, there were a number of different virtual characters that you could talk to. One of them was permanently moody, permanently uh, happy, or permanently angry, whatever, and they would try and, and kind of prime you um, emotionally. And that's where, where these voices that you might have heard... Uh, the, the, the British voices come from. The, so there's there's a Spike character who's always angry and aggressive. There's these uh, this other character called Obadiah who's always kind of depressed and gloomy. And there are two female characters, uh, Poppy, who's always very cheerful and obnoxiously happy, and <laughs> and Prudence, which is a weird name. But anyway, so she's kind of the matter-of-fact matter of fact neutral persona. And these four characters, they they actually had different. Uh, I mean, they were virtually like like CG characters, just standing there on screen with and, and with uh, well, just talking to you really. And um, and the output, the speech output, was generated by Mary. And that um, was so that that project was coordinated by Mark, and it allowed him to do uh, all kinds of more interesting things with the emotional speech. And he had yeah. a, a PhD student working with him for a number of years in that project, um, Satish, Satish Pami. Um, and also a number of other people were working on it. Um, most uh, importantly, Marcella Charvoela, um, who was at DFKI for, for many years, uh, but very recently uh, left for a job in academia. And so this was a small team, but a small steady team of, of, of about three to four people uh, working on Mary uh, over a couple of years. Um, and so when I joined in 2010, it was, it was really exciting to be, to be working so closely with these, with these excellent colleagues. And um, yeah, so that really, really gave me a great boost in both doing something worthwhile and, and working on a, on, a, on a really good application and try and making it better, and implementing new features such as the, uh, the manipulation of prosody, um, working on these on these voice building tools, and um, that uh, is something that I that I uh, yeah didn't didn't want to let go again. So I kept I kept in touch with with Mary development over the years since then, and a couple years later, um, in late 2012, I returned to Surbrooken in a different capacity. Um, but as Mark had left, um, it seemed natural to kind of take over maintaining the project. Um, and at the same time, unfortunately, I also had other responsibilities. So I'm currently working on completely unrelated things um, in my, well, if you will, in, in my main project. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, the great news is that um, we have a number of projects running, and one of them is starting actually in uh, next month where I've also had the opportunity to hire more people that are going to be working basically full-time on Mary TTS. Um, oh, super. Good news. Yeah, so we have, we have solid funding for the next four years to improve and, and continue working on, on Mary TTS. And we have very, very exciting 
ideas on how to make it better and easier and more efficient and uh, all those things while adding functionality that will hopefully actually have a, a research impact as well, uh, especially regarding um, trying to predict or, or to infer the, uh, the way that things should be read from text, basically. So using, using measures or well, using, using techniques from information theory um, to, uh, to model how it maps onto prosody and then how to use that uh, to improve the quality of the synthesis output. Well, that is, uh, that, that's actually very good news to hear. And it also means now that if we get all our bug reports in, you will get to them first. <laughs> Hopefully, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, there's, a, there's a huge backlog, unfortunately, but uh, there are a lot of, lot of really interesting things in the pipeline. I can, I can go on if you want. Um, yeah, fire ahead, please. Okay. Um, so the, the voice building itself is something that basically anyone can do, but up to now, they've had to have a certain, well, let's say a tolerance for pain or frustration. Um, so what happens when you do this voice building thing? So there's, some, there's like a voice SDK, if you will, included with Mary um, that allows you to record your own, your own voice. In fact, you can, you can even back off. You can, you can do your own language if you want. So if you happen to be a, a knowledgeable or at least have a cursory familiarity with some language that's not yet supported by Mary, you can, in fact, create the or, or bootstrap the the bare minimum modules required to predict the acoustic parameters for uh, that new language, and that's basically done in a, in a separate step. Uh, we currently have a project doing that for Luxembourgish. Uh, interestingly, Luxembourgish does not have a TTS system apparently, um, okay. and so that's that's something we're working on at the moment. Um, well, you're you're actually heading into territory that I'm quite interested in now because I'd like to. Uh, as I said before, have a mm. Dutch language version. Uh, yes. So, what do I need to do? Uh, well, the the vanilla way to to create really kind of baseline support for a new language is to take um, a large text corpus, um, let's say the Wikipedia in that language, and to harvest that text corpus for for words to to create a new dictionary, a new pronunciation dictionary. Um, and also to create the, the inventory or the, the, the phone set that, or the, the inventory of, of sounds, of, of separate sounds in that language. Um, and that will allow you to go from text to pronunciation. Um, unfortunately, the process there is, is even more painful than the, uh, than the voice building process because, I mean, it's fantastic for what they did back in 2005, 2006, but it hasn't really been improved since. And there are a couple of things that were never really that solid. And it was a research tool at the time, and it still is the same, basically. So w one of the things that we're, that we're dealing with is um, just reducing the technical overhead in, in these things. So, for instance, um, processing the Wikipedia in a given language takes a huge amount of memory. Now, unfortunately, it was, it was implemented using... I don't know why, but they decided to implement it as an SQL database. So you have a, a certain technical overhead in creating or, or, or in even storing and processing the, the raw data because you need to install whatever uh, SQL, you need to run all these queries. Um, so you can't just do it on any random Windows box. Um, but that's that's something that we're, we're trying to make simpler simply by, by uh, moving on to a slightly more modern 
mass processing uh, techniques. Um, but what you end up with is a dictionary that will predict, um, well, that, that will give you the pronunciation for all the words that you know how to tr transcribe, and that will use that that knowledge to predict the pronunciation, pronunciation of unknown words. And so using that, just yeah. stop you there. If mm -hmm. so, you would need to supply it. Here's the text that's been read, and here's a WAV file, I guess, of that text being read by a human. That, that comes in. That comes a bit later, or, or it's basically the next step. So the so, first step is here's a, a Wikipedia page, and then and what do I need to do to that Wikipedia page? Actually, the, so the Wikipedia serves for uh, for two things. First, it gives you a reasonably good coverage of what the sounds of that language are, yeah, and what the um, and and what the most frequent words are. And if you transcribe those most frequent words and then train models to predict the pronunciation of the rest of the words, then you're good to go for the pronunciation stage. The sorry? next step, yes. Uh, can you just sorry? Didn't quite get that. Mm, okay, uh, so what you need is some sort of uh, pronunciation model. If you if you throw text at the system, it's supposed to give you the phonetic units that you need to, well, sequence to um, uh, to read it out. So if I, I mean, in, in some languages it's super straightforward, but in other languages it's completely different. So English is kind of difficult because there are a lot of words that are spelled completely differently than they're spoken. Yeah, yeah. Um, Irish would be a nice example of how horrible it can be to have really, really bad um, correspondence between the written and the spoken form. Whereas Spanish, for instance, would be straightforward. You could you could do a Spanish synthesizer based on a handful of rules because it's so so um, direct the uh, the correspondence between the spoken and written form. Okay, so with the Wikipedia article, I presume you're using Wikipedia because of the license. Yeah, that uh, yeah. you can use it. Um, so that's a simple text file. Do would you then need to manipulate the text file in some way, or is it just enough to, you know, save that as Wikipedia.txt? Um, well, it would be a large text file. So yeah, yeah. You basically you want very very large coverage. So you would be using I don't know hundreds or thousands of pages in kind of an XML dump or, or a markup yep. dump or whatever. Okay. Yeah. And uh, and processing all that, and what it does. What it does besides setting up the pronunciation of words is to give you a list of sentences. Um, and there is a Grady algorithm that tries to maximize the phonetic coverage of your, of your phone set for this large speech corpus to give you, I don't know, a couple hundred sentences that if you read those out and record them, um, that will give you a good database for voice. Ah, uh, yes, I understand. And that, that's the next step. Okay. But. If so, you you dump it all this Wikipedia stuff, but then for the likes of something that will be geared towards talking to a child, that mm -hmm. might give you. If you summarize Wikipedia, the essence of Wikipedia is kind of very formal and stuffy uh, language, wouldn't you say? Would it not be better to feed it a whole go of uh, children's books or something of that level? Um, or would you point, end up then with a language that would be Dutch? Uh, you know, uh, kindergarten mm -hmm. or Dutch uh, middle school, mm -hmm. that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, well, they're, I mean, they're not completely separate, but there are two different aspects, if you will. So one is basically the, the text domain. Um, 
And the text domain is not as critical because some of these, I mean, sure, if you find a whole word, if you want if you want to say something like, I don't know, colonoscopy, and you have that word in your database, then of course it's easy to 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 make it sound good because you're just <laughs> going to take that, you're going to lift all the units in one block and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. have it read out. Um, but that word is probably not going to, going to uh, have or not going to occur in, in fairy tales. Too. Yeah. Um, so, th so that's basically just for, for the text domain, but the, um, the way that you read it is of course, then going to affect the way that the, the voice sounds, the TTS voice sounds at the end. So you can, you can kind of split these things up and you can say, okay, I'm going to take the Wikipedia or, or I don't know, um, uh, whatever the, the, the fairy tale one and, yeah, and read yeah, it nice yeah. and light and then read the Wikipedia in a nice somber voice. You could do, yeah. Of course, um, the problem is getting uh, Creative Commons or freely licensed uh, material from people. Yeah, well, I mean, another way to do it would be to use, I don't know, uh, public domain works in uh, Project Gutenberg or something. So yeah, we were thinking about that and we had a look at some of the books, but even then, they everything that's gone out of uh, gone out of copyright Hmm. is so old that the language has moved on that uh you know it's very 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 old you know uh, i don't know old dutch wouldn't be a right word but more your grandmother's type of dutch you know? yeah yeah well incidentally that might be ideal for fairy tales but um that's a, <laughs> a certain text type that you might not want for i don't know reading your your text messages for you uh, or, or reading out your email um but you could but obviously yeah. you could feed it like wikipedia and these books as well and then you would get a that corpus that sort of distill distillation process will give you a list of of text that it once read. Is that correct? Pretty much, yes. You're not tied into synthesizing only that, but if you have a domain specific corpus and then build a voice from it, then things that are within domain are probably going to sound better because it's going to find more uh, or, or larger chunks of of desired output in that in that corpus. Then, if you if you uh, try and synthesize something else, so gotcha. an extreme gotcha. an extreme example would be um, there's a, a, a I'm sure you've come across the uh, the festival uh, synthesis system. I have yes, um, and, yeah, and another text to speech engine that is incredibly difficult to um, yes to work with. Just like yes. Mary TTS, I have to be honest. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, although um, anyway, moving on, fest, we'll talk festival, about that later. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so the extreme example is there. There is a um, uh, there is a, a, a website called festvox.org that deals or that, that provides resources among other things for creating voices for festival. And one of the demo voices or one of the demo recording databases is a really small data set written uh, sorry read by by Alan Black, one of the original programmers on on festival, um, which is nothing but numbers to create a speaking clock. And that's actually, I think there's even a, a whatever, a, a package for Linux distributions out there that will just have that speaking clock as, a, uh, as an application. But um, the point is, if you use that to synthesize the time, it works wonderfully, even though it has a very strong Scottish accent, um, yeah. or maybe because of it, I don't know. Um, but it will not, it, it will fail miserably if, it, if it's supposed to read out, uh, I don't know, a poem or something like that. Um, I get you. Not, I get you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is very clear. Cool, cool. Carry on. So okay, and the so the voice building process itself uh, takes the list of sentences that you've grabbed from this using this greedy algorithm. 
So, or you can just use whatever other prompt set or prompt list that you want. I mean, it should have good phonetic coverage and it should give you early good coverage. So if you're interrupted after, or if you, if you have to, if you only have 50 sentences or something, they should be the right 50 sentences to give you good coverage, but it would be yep. better to have several hours of data if possible. Now, if you do that, um, you will have, uh, so you, you then sit down and you record, hopefully under good acoustic conditions. So maybe not while the neighbor is mowing his lawn outside. Um, you can record this and then you have the text that you read and you have the corresponding wave files or whatever audio format that you choose. And then you start uh, you chopping that up. To, would you not need to keep them in sync somewhere? Well, they would be uh, in, the, in, in the next step, basically. Okay. You, you would have, um, so let's, let's just say you have 500 utterances um, of, of random Wikipedia text and um, and you have the corresponding recordings that you that you just spoke read out, and then the next step is to segment those um, into phonetic units, and that can be done uh, using well, you could do it by hand. It typically, gives you slightly better uh, quality, but of course, it's hugely hugely time consuming, and you have to know what you're doing. Um, so the obvious solution is to use automatic speech recognition, specifically in a in kind of a guided way, uh, which is called forced alignment. So you know what's being said, you know what the units are, you just have to place the boundaries correctly. And so there are a couple of different ways to do that. Um, and the one that Mary was tending to use for a long time is something actually lifted straight out of the uh, Festvox tools, which are also open source, um, called EHMM. And that worked reasonably well. Um, that worked reasonably well, but more often than not, it would also fail just completely. On some sentences, it would just say, okay, well, maybe the first, I don't know, 500 frames are all the audio, and then we have, I don't know, 30 seconds of nothing where it doesn't match up with the audio at all. And just weird glitches like that would happen uh, more often than not. There are a couple of different ways to do it. Um, there's also something that's widely used called HTK, which is a the hidden Markov model toolkit developed at Cambridge University, uh, which is, well, it comes with a, with a license burden. So it's, it's open source, but you may not redistribute it. So that, that uh, makes it a little mm -hmm. problematic to use. So you have to go to them, download, register, and then download the source. Then you can pilot yourself, and then you can use it for forced alignment. Um, and yeah, I mean, it works. But I, um, more I recently there... The, yeah. No, go, carry on. Um, maybe you're going to cover it. No, no, uh, go ahead. I saw, I came across a website and I cannot find it now where you had, where you would feed it a line, it would say a line of text and then you would press play and sort of like a karaoke machine, the line will go across and you were supposed to speak as the line was going across the piece of text and you could slow it up and you could slow, speed up or slow down the the speed of the line going across so that it would know where it was on, on the text. Have you, hmm. any hmm. idea of that? Um, it was linked on the Mary TTS site during my googling of it. Ah, um, hmm. and I have to admit, I'm not exactly sure. Um, there is a recording tool in Mary TTS, um, and I'm not sure if maybe that's part of what you're referring to. I don't know, um, but yeah, I mean, the, not to worry, carry on. Yeah, it, it comes down to how you're going to instruct your speaker, or, or how are you going to actually. Um, how are you going to stage the whole recording session? 
Um, I mean, one approach would be just to sit them down and say, here, read those sentences, and that's it. Or you could actually go and, and try and direct your voice talent in a certain way uh, to make sure that he does uh, speak or produce those utterances in a way that, that's more conducive to what the overall domain goal is. So we had the, the, the case of the expressive synthesis. You're telling him, okay, well, maybe you could read these sentences in a happy voice, and then he'll go and do that if he's good or not. Um, or if you want, you can, you can try different like speech rates. Um, you can try, uh, different, well, I guess, um, registers like yeah. uh, speak yeah. something. Yeah. Uh, or, or different accents if you want. Um, so things like that can all basically be, be done to, to give a certain flavor to the overall results. But the TTS system is not really aware of that. That's kind of a side effect of your recording. So it's it's kind of a sub channel yeah, of I'm with you. yeah. It and it would be something you pick. You would end up with a different voice, the happy voice, mm-hmm. the sad voice, the thingy voice, and you would yeah. select that at, at. He said something angrily, and you'd use the angry voice, and then yes, yeah, okay. So that's yes. later. All right, yes. but uh, in my particular very specific use case, it's related directly to. Um, I want to. Um, I want to read a nice, soft, calm voice the whole time. So that's what we would be going for. Mm-hmm. So uh, I interrupted you. Keep going. No, no. Um, okay. So then after you, you process it with one of these forced alignment ASR engines, uh, you then have uh, time-aligned phonetic units. So you know where in which, in which file or basically you, you, have, you have the audio and you have a set of timestamps that correspond to the boundaries between the phonetic units. And those are basically the basic building blocks of the uniselection voice, for instance. If you're, if you're going to go for the traditional uniselection synthesis that sounds the most natural in domain, then that's how you do it. And um, you then go and, and add some features, maybe. You, you, um, based on, these, on, on this phonetic annotation, those units are then enriched with some features that are predicted by, by the, uh, essentially the, the text processing uh, components and at the end of the day, you have a um, well. I guess you you have an enriched form of your recorded database that is suitable for unisection synthesis. So then you can you can basically go and predict the pronunciation for a given text, and based on the pronunciation and some other features, look for uh, the appropriate or or the best possible fe- uh, sorry units matching those features. Um, in your database uh, using a, a cost function, really. Yeah. And yep. so, and then you you take them, you concatenate them, and then you get your your new utterance, your synthetic utterance for the given input text using the voice that you recorded or using the voice data. And depending on how you recorded it, it will sound like that person in a certain way. And that's basically the process. Okay. Perfectly clear. Very very complex. A lot more complex than I thought it would be. Well, I've been I've been going a lot into a lot of detail. It's it's not that terribly complex once you've done it a few times. Um, I've actually uh, I was I was teaching a seminar um, earlier this year where the um, where the participants were going in, into our recording studio and recording one one and a half hours of of a standard prompt list and then just using Mary to create a new TTS voice from those recordings. So they basically had their own recordings and their own 
their own TTS voice that was usable with Mary. And they, they did that both, both for the unit selection and for the HMM-based synthesis. Um, and that worked, I would say, about a week or so. So basically, um, they, they went from zero to working voices in, in a couple of days. Okay. Um, do you happen to have how-tos on that that are available to me? Um, again, the, the, the state of the documentation is uh, sadly a bit out of date. So um, that's what I meant when I said you're, you have to have a certain tolerance for frustration. Um, it can be done. It certainly can be done. And it may work out of the box, or you may run into, into one or another problem and it may be a little clunkier. But well, um, I'm happy to fix the documentation as I go. That's, oh, that would be that, that would, would be, be very well. Quite simple if you're <laughs> uh, if you're willing to help me along. Yeah. Um, so I mentioned that that Mary TTS is on GitHub, and uh, so basically there's a, there's an issue tracker crammed full of open bugs, and there is a wiki that is sadly out of date. But essentially, that's where everything everything happens. And if if you find something on one of the wiki pages that, for instance, does not uh, match up with what is in the current code, then you're you're more than welcome to to edit that. All you need for that is a is a GitHub account. Okay, super. Um, the the process utilization, installation, and something as simple as you know piping a you know echo hello world mm-hmm. to Mary TTS. Why is that so complicated? Ha, um, not necessarily complicated. Um, I'll go back into a little bit of history. So up to version four, uh, Mary was designed as a pure client-server system. So the idea was that you would run it as an HTTP server and you could connect to it using a client, either on the same machine or a different machine. And all you needed to do was to send a a request to the server and some of the parameters of the request was the input text and and whatever voice you wanted or something like that. And the the server would respond with essentially the, the, the output of whatever you wanted. So if you wanted audio, it would send you back a WAV file. And that persevered into, well, basically into the current code. However, in version 5, Mark designed something that is slightly more lightweight, uh, which uh, he calls the Mary interface. And that can be something that's basically just within an application. Um, now, the most important, the more, most important change from Mary 5, which is the current version, um, is, or the, or the era, if you will, or family, um, is the fact that it now uses Maven for uh, dependency management and uh, deployment and all those things. It's, ver- it's modular in a different way, so it now uses Maven modules for some of the things, um, and it gets a little confusing because some of the Mary modules are in different Maven modules and so forth, so th- there's a, a slight mismatch in how the modularization works within the Mary TTS components and within the uh, the Maven project. but What's uh, Maven? Oh, uh, sorry. Maven is a, uh, a, a Java-centric build automation system, um, which takes you from... It uses a set of conventions that are actually very straightforward to follow, um, where you place your source code, where you place your unit tests, where you place your resources. You run basically a, a simple command, and it automatically puts everything together, compiles it, tests it, and deploys it into a jar. Or actually, it assembles it into a jar, and then you can you can upload that jar to a uh, or an artifact repository where other people can find it. And one of the really cool things about Maven is that it has a concept of remote repositories for commonly used artifacts. So if you have, let's say, you want to use some common third third party library in your code, all you have to do is write a certain instruction into your 
uh, project model, it, well, it's really just an XML file, um, that tells Maven to use that particular library. And it goes and looks for that library at that version in a public central repository, automatically downloads it into your local machine, puts it in a, in a repository, puts it on the class path, and if you want, also bundles it with your application. So that makes it super, super straightforward to, to say that uh, maybe you want to use, I don't know, Mary TTS in your, in your project. So all you say is, I have a dependency on Mary TTS version 5.1. Um, just use it. And then suddenly, autom automatically, you have all of the stuff on your class path, and you can you even have content assist in, in Eclipse or something. So you can just type new Mary interface, and then that's it. And then you can synthesize stuff. So using Maven, really all you need is a, a little block that 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 uh, declares a dependency on Mary TTS, and then maybe three or four lines of Java, and then you're done. Okay, I get it. I get it. Sort of like um, CPAN in the Perl world. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And um, so that that brings me to the, uh, the the newer concepts that I was mentioning earlier about voice building, how to simplify it and make it more more performative. Um, so Maven is fantastic and is pretty much. I mean, I, guess, I would say in in uh, in the Java world, it's probably by now an industry standard. Um, for a long time, it was Ant, um, but Ant is well, it, it gives you a lot of power, but you also have to write a lot of XML before anything happens. And Maven just kind of throws all that out and says it just it's just going to work if you follow the convention. If you want to customize, go ahead, but then you do have to write XML. Okay, I'm familiar with Ant, so good. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Clear. And there is a newer build system that is even more flexible. So the, the nice thing about, about Maven is the, this concept of a build life cycle. So implicitly, you already have a standard model where you compile your, or you, you, you initialize and, and make sure that certain things are valid. Um, for instance, you can, you can assert that you're using the correct version of JDK or something. Um, then it compiles your, your classes. It, it moves all the resources into place, runs your unit tests, um, assembles everything, and then installs it or uploads it. But um, if you want to deviate from that or you have some other layout, then you're in trouble because then you do have to write a lot of customization in XML. Um, and there's something that has learned and taken the best out of Maven and, and Ant and various other things um, that is called Gradle. And Gradle is a build automation system that um, is still, well, originally focused on Java, but has become a very strong build tool for C++ and, and other tools as well. And it's actually the, um, now, as of a few months ago, it is now the standard build tool for Android. So it's become very mainstream at this point. Mm -hmm. um, and I've been kind of watching and, and using it for the last two, three years or so. And I really, really liked what I saw. So I'm, I'm at this point, I'm deeply convinced that I've bet on the right horse here. Um, the thing about Gradle is that it allows you to apply conventions if you want, but you don't have to. And you can very easily redefine your workflow. And at this point, we're using Gradle for everything in my group. So we're using it for I don't know, compiling and publishing papers, uh, doing some other stuff, uh, like tying in... Um, uh, native binaries into a certain workflow. Um, ultimately, what you do in a Gradle build is you formalize a set of tasks and the dependency between those tasks. So you you end up with a with a task dependency graph, which tells you this thing is a task that does this, and it depends on some other task. 
And it gives you all this stuff like caching and dependency management and uh, testing and deployments and all that for free. Um, it, you can get parallelization for free. So if you have, I don't know, several unrelated tasks that could run in parallel, they can run in parallel. You don't have to write a single line of code to do that. Um, and it just allows you the freedom of defining your uh, your own workflows. And so I'll back up a little bit. The voice building process, as it's implemented in Mary, or as it, as it was designed um, oh, almost eight years ago, yeah. um, is implicitly following a model like that. Now, this was before Maven was mainstream, before Gradle existed. Um, there's essentially a number of steps that you have to accomplish, and some of these steps depend on previous steps. And at the end, you have this big assembly task that kind of creates the, the package that you then install with Mary to, to get that voice running. Um, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of checking going on. There's some external tools that need to be called and all that stuff. So, um, that's all implemented in a rather, unfortunately, a bit clunky way. Um, and it's also tied up with some, with some GUI code, which makes the whole thing rather messy and, um, and a bit hard to manage. Um, but at the end of the day, you create a, you have data, you process the data through a number of steps. And at the end, you have, um, well, a product. And this product is essentially a zip file containing your voice in the Mary format. Um, and you can send that to, I don't know, you can put it on a server, and you can point your Mary TTS component installer, which is the little little GUI that allows you to install more voices of the ones that are already out there. Yeah. You can point it there, download and install this voice, and then suddenly you have that voice in your Mary installation. If you run the Mary server, then it will pick up that voice and have it available. And so these concepts are all uh, very, 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 very overlapping with with the the concept of remote repositories, artifacts, um, resolving these artifacts in remote repositories, installing them locally, uh, or putting them in a cache, um, and installing them from the cache. Um, and those are all things that are done in Maven and also in Gradle. So it seemed obvious to kind of migrate the this kind of self or home baked. Um, task or, or workflow of, of voice building to to something more modern and uh, and maintained, well maintained, um, like Gradle. So that's actually okay. what we're doing. Okay. So now we have a um, a voice building plugin that uh, I'm currently working on um, that allows you to to go from from your raw data all the way through the final voice, in basically uh, just a few steps. You get the GUI for free. Gradle comes with the GUI. Um, you get parallel processing for free. It's much easier to log stuff, to uh, to test things, to ensure that the output of one task uh, is actually valid before the next task tries to consume it. Um, you get uh, uh, you get external thread handling. So there are a number of different external tools that we need to use, but it's very very straightforward to just execute them with Gradle, uh, as opposed to the current state of the Mary code where you you have to write, I don't know, 10 lines of Java code to, to manage these external threads, and then it's up to you whether or not you, you capture their output value and uh, what happens with uh, with their output if they fail and so forth. So it's it's much easier to do these things with Gradle, and so I'm very happy to, to see that this is actually working. And so at the end of the day, you'll have um, open source voice building so there are a couple of databases out there that are open source um, that you can tie into a project using the new voice building. Um, and all you have to do is 
is get clone it and run Gradle and well, it will probably take a couple of minutes, but um, then you'll have your your TTS voice and you can deploy it to a remote repository. You can find it there and and then use it in some other computer just simply by resolving it and, and installing it locally. Um, you, okay. Go ahead. Um, yeah, I'm just thinking from a Linux point of view, you know, you would put it into the distribution repositories then and you do an apt-get install something or other. You could do. I mean, right now we're... Um, the binaries, or sorry, the, the actual voices themselves, some of which are actually rather large packages, yeah. um, they are not as easy to host. So we have kind of a, a, a half-assed cloud hosting solution where we have a Google Drive, we have a Dropbox, um, and those things have some of the voices shared. So if, for instance, the main Mary web server, which is also hosting these voices, is somehow down, the installer will try to fall back to one of those other cloud storage okay. services. Um, but it's not, it, it, again, it's it's a little bit um, home-baked and doesn't doesn't work as well as advertised. Um, okay. Now, fortunately, by offloading it to Gradle, it makes it very, very straightforward to just define a number of different places to look for these things, different patterns to find them, to resolve them in the path. And there are also more advanced or more flexible hosting solutions now specifically for binaries, such as Bintray. And I don't know if you've heard of Bintray, but it's um, no. it's a service offered by uh, JFrog, the company behind Artifactory, which is one of the most widely used Maven repository manager uh, softwares. And <coughs> excuse me, um, you could think of it as a little bit like, like GitHub, but not for code, but for binaries. So if you sign up for an account on Bintray, you get... Um, a number of different repositories, for instance, one for, for Maven, and Gradle and, and Apache Ivy and things like that can use it as well. So you put your binaries there, and then people can just resolve them by pointing their, their Maven at that particular repository. Or if you're using Gradle, you just there's a, there's a little function called jcenter that just uh, applies that automatically, and then you can resolve these artifacts from, from Bintray. Okay, perfect. Um, the Accessible Computing Foundation, Jonathan Nidu, who I spoke about before, has got a Linux distribution called Sonar, and mm-hmm. they are using the text, text-to-speech engine. Um, they've replaced the speech dispatcher to use te- uh, Miri TTS. Mm-hmm. They're running that on a Raspberry Pi. When I run it here on my quad-core blah-blah-blah machine with mm-hmm. so many gigaquads of RAM, um, it's... It, run like a hog how 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 are they able to run it so fast and on such a small device maybe it's a question for jonathan but um i guess most of the people here would just like they pick a nice voice that they want and they want mm-hmm. to be able to um cut in some uh text and hear the output mm-hmm. something as simple as that with a known voice that they're like what do i need to do uh, it's actually very simple. So the, the unit selection voices use a lot of memory, and those are hogs. Um, if you're constrained for processing power or storage or both, then you'll want to use one of the HMM voices. So they're built from the same data, but using a completely different technique. And what comes out of it is something that doesn't actually have the actual data in it, so it's much smaller, but something that's trained on the data and just gives the parameters that you need to make it sound like that. And those are the, the voices that are much much smaller in footprint and also more efficient to run. So I'm, I'm assuming that they're using one of those voices. And HM, HMM stands for? Human? Uh, the hidden Markov model. 
Okay. It's actually a hidden semi-Markov model, but that's uh, nitpicking at this point. But yes, if you use one of those voices, you can run it on an Android phone or uh, on, on, on a Raspberry Pi. Okay. Um, do I still need to run the client and server for I, to do that? I doubt it. Um, so the client server stuff is, it has a bit of overhead. And uh, I mean, there are also some, some problems where I suspect that, for instance, a Windows firewall is getting in the way, things like that. Um, if you use the Mary uh, 5 code, um, you can actually wrap it directly into uh, an application and call and, and call all the uh, all the synthesis routines uh, internally so you don't have to worry about all that but do you have some do you have something yourself that is uh, that's just a very simple wrapper on that like miri tts dash say um, we don't actually have that uh, it would be reasonably easy to build though um, there were a couple of ah hold on I think there is actually a, an example project somewhere in the code. Um, that has something like that. So there's an example project for um, for the remote interface where you would have the interface running on a remote server that, that actually goes back to using this, this networking protocol. And there's a second example project that runs the internal or the so-called local Mary interface, uh, which does it within the app with no, no networking involved. Um, I think you can find those on GitHub. Let me just double check. Um, there's Because I can definitely tell you that is... That is something that uh, has been a major barrier to me just um, okay. just okay. getting into this and even trying the, the voices. Ideally, what with eSpeak or with some of those, there's a command eSpeak, and you can specify a text file, you can specify a WAV file, but if you don't, it goes standard in, standard out, and then mm -hmm. you have the option of dash V for the voice. Even something like that where you can run it locally and uh, test out your voices, it's just it would be just so nice. Mm -hmm. um, well, I think the biggest constraint here is that it has to be Java. Um, well, no, Java's, Java will be fine. I mean, we can wrap it in a Bash script mm -hmm. or something. Okay. Yeah, in that case, I see no problem. So there's, yeah, I just checked. Some, you heard um, it here, folks. <laughs> well, <laughs> he sees no problems. <laughs> Four hours later, I'm throwing the keyboard out the window. <laughs> uh, no, no, but seriously, there's a, um, if you look on the, on the uh, GitHub source page there, there's something called there. There's yeah. a Maven module called User Examples, which has a submodule called Example Embedded that consists of two files. One is the the POM, the the project object model that that Maven uses to to build this project, and the important things are the dependencies. So you have a dependency on on the voice. Really, you only need one. You need one dependency because the others are actually transitive. So the voice in this case, in, the, in this example, there is a voice called CMU SLT HSMM. Which is the HMM version of a of an Arctic database uh, provided by CMU for speaker SLT. So there's this, which is actually the, the example voice in the Mary code base. Now this um, this voice is the dependency for that project. It has trans so that voice in turn depends on the English language component, which in turn depends on the Mary TTS core runtime library. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. Um, so you have transitive dependencies from the voice to all the runtime stuff that you need in Mary. So all you need is a single dependency um, called, well, voice CMU SLT HSMM, which is available in various ways. So you can either get it from Bintray or you can get it by locally installing Mary from source if you want. Um, but if you have that one dependency, then you can go to the other file, which is uh, called Mary TTS embedded.java and consists of about 
well, just under 30 lines. And the, the main class is only like, I don't know, 10 lines, um, which just instantiates a local Mary interface, which is already on the class path because of your dependency. Um, and it actually says, oh, okay. So, oh, you can, you can load a voice or, or just use the default voice. And there's a, um, there's a little method that says generate audio and you pass it some text and it creates an audio input stream, which in turn you can then either play or save as a WAV file or do what you want with. Um, so the, the actual logic uh, or, or the, the actual code that you need to write to use this is, I don't know, three or four lines. And now, if you want to wrap it into something that, that runs on the console, then you can do that too. I'm sure there are people who followed that. <laughs> uh, I unfortunately wasn't one of them. Uh, However, that said... Um, I think it does highlight uh, an issue with the well with all these projects, all your projects is that I think you guys are so far into it, you're uh, you're forgetting the humans here behind. Yeah, sorry, I, I, I think agree. There, I, I think agree. really think there should be a example project. You download that and you type in some text here and you get some voice out would mm-hmm. definitely help. Um, okay. I do know I do know some Java programmers uh, listening to this who hopefully will understand what you've just done and be able to produce that for us that would be nice mm-hmm. um yeah uh, yeah I, I i apologize for being a little too no 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 no, no no uh, i also apologize I, for I, being I, a bit uh, no a no, bit no no i, I agree i agree it was a bit it was a bit uh, weird but um uh we can document this we will document this in a better way um to make it very clear that it has actually is very simple to to use this and if we have uh, a small project that basically just has a say utility or something that you can just type stuff or pipe stuff into, then that would be probably even easier. Then you don't cool. have to understand let's, how easy it is. Let's do this offline, actually. And uh, okay. if there are if there are people listening to this who can assist, um, I'll, there's a few people jump to mind who I know are Java programmers as well. So um, it would be nice to have this done. Uh, mm-hmm. Just that when people hit the main page, you know, new to Mary TTS, try this. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Okay, cool. Um, is there speaking of uh, help that you need with the project? Is there anything that you think um, you know how people could contribute? What sort of uh, helpers are you looking for? Hmm. Um, so let's see. Um, I think one of the main problems is that we currently don't have a focus on integrating with OS uh, at the OS level. So the, I mean, Windows, Mac OS, um, Linux, or various distributions. They all have their own ways of of hooking into the uh, speech APIs, um, and that's yeah. something that I know not too much about, and that has been on the to do list on Mary for a long, long time, um, but it hasn't been done. So, for instance, there's a, a Java speech API that might or might not be easy to to integrate to create something that would simply just run as a as a as a TTS voice in the existing frameworks that there are out there. For, for Mac OS and, and Windows, I don't know, would be cool to have. Um, but it's unfortunately, it's not a priority because we don't have a project that depends on it right now. Um, and likewise, for Linux, I know that people have, have tried to integrate Mary and there's been a bit of, well, criticism regarding certain aspects of how Mary works um, that where it would be nicer to, to, to work directly with people who are using it who know how to develop for this. Um, but again, unfortunately, it was limited due to manpower at our end. Um, so yeah, um, I think those those are the things where where we would really benefit from from user contributions. 
um, cool. contributions in the, in the sense of somebody who knows how to how to code for these frameworks. Um, and I know that some people have already done this. Um, and but unfortunately, there's no there's no direct dialogue. I don't think they've really um, gotten involved on the GitHub level, which is the way to to uh, to do this um, more most efficiently. I think. But you're definitely open to contributions coming back for that sort of thing. Absolutely, absolutely. That's what Perfect. GitHub shines at. That's what it's for. Okay, cool. And then we have uh, also mentioned about uh, people helping out with the wiki and things. Mm-hmm. And uh, in our own way, when I uh, try and sort get all this stuff clear in my head, maybe we can um, uh, just get a better overview of... Uh, overview myself on the documentation aspects mm-hmm. and uh, uh, we'll work through updating the documents for those that recording a new voice try mm-hmm. and make it as easy as possible if we do have some uh, voice talent as you say that is yeah. willing to give up their time yeah. super I'm I, I need to let this settle down is there any chance that uh, maybe later on I could uh, interview again with a follow up perhaps with uh, somebody else who knows what <laughs> knows what they're talking about Absolutely. Yeah, I think that would be wonderful because right now we're kind of at, at the dawn of a new a new stage or a new phase in, in Mary development. So there were several different phases in the past. One was where it was not open source yet. Then there was one where it was open source and we had increasing number of projects working on it and developing on it. And then a, a bit of a hiatus, like I said, um, after those projects ended, it was just Mark working on it. Even he was too busy to, to focus on it. And then he basically just pushed it onto GitHub. Um, in preparation for leaving for Google. And so it was basically handed off to the community. And now that we have funding coming in for um, for people who are actually going to work on this full time, this is the, the beginning of a new phase of, I don't know, three, four years um, where we can really focus on stuff and really get a big push towards towards more interesting features, improving the existing features, improving documentation, all that stuff. Um, so it would be wonderful to... At, at the onset of this of this particular new phase, to have this interview, so that's that's great. Did that, um, but having said that, it would be great to maybe in a year or two to sit down again and talk about some of the some of the things that were on the roadmap um, and that may or may not have been accomplished, and perhaps other things that uh, are not on the roadmap that will have been accomplished by then. Um, so it would be great to have a kind of a follow up and, and see in one or two years how it's developed since today. I've- have you considered going to FOSTEM, presenting at FOSTEM at all, or uh, other ex- other developer conferences like that? Um, haven't, haven't actually. Um, you should. So, yeah, okay. Um, it's certainly food for thought. Um, I well, I, I, I see Mary as well. Or so far, Mary has been mainly a research tool that happens to be usable for certain applications. Um, that make it useful to, to I don't know enterprise developers or, or enthusiasts end users, um, but it's not really as as mainstream as some other open source tools. Um, and I guess there are a handful of people um, who have contributed more or less steadily over the years in the community, but because it was originally a, uh, uh, an in-house tool, it's kind of still in that in that little nest um, in that little basket. Waiting to be to be released uh, or, or to be to be adopted by the by the the wide world, um, and so I don't know how far people in the in in open in the open source community will have become aware of Mary. 
Well, there's one way to definitely get developers' attention is to, uh, in the Linux world at least, and uh, FreeBSD world, is to uh, pop over to FOSTEM, develop mm-hmm. largest developer conference is held in Brussels, which shouldn't be too far away from you. And they're yeah. currently looking for papers, so if you wanted to give a talk, I guarantee you that that would be a fun-filled weekend. I, of course, will be there as well, and I can then uh, give you a beer mm-hmm. if, if you're into beers, if not a nice cup of coffee. Oh, Belgian beer is good. It is indeed, uh, sir. Um, let's see now. The ah, uh, 15th, no, I don't think. I don't think we can do it this time around. No, it's certainly on the something... 31st of January and the 1st of February 2015. So the yeah, call... But... Yep, go on. Sorry, there, there, I assume there is a deadline, though, for uh, proposing talks. Yeah, that would be the 1st of October. Okay, yeah, that's, that's a little bit... That would be a little bit uh, exciting because the first of October is also the the date on which our project actually begins. So, and and I'm actually going to to various conferences before then this month. So oh, you can fire little... them off an email. I mean, how difficult is it? Mm, okay. Hmm. Yeah, it's certainly certainly food for thought, and it's something where I would like to keep it on the radar. Even if we don't manage to attend next year's, then the year after that should certainly be doable. Yeah. Okay. Um, very good. Um, you should attend anyway to get a flavor of the of the thing and talk mm-hmm. to some people. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Um, yeah. Is there anything else that I haven't covered that you think you would like to share with us? Mm-hmm. Uh, not sure. Yeah, maybe. Well, maybe it, not. I can't think of anything at this point. But it doesn't matter if you do. You can always record a show yourself, or uh, just send it to me, and we can do a follow up. We have Excellent. plenty, plenty, plenty of slots here. Okay. okay. I would like to thank you very much for taking the time and explaining this to me and uh, giving me a very good understanding of uh, why I can't just simply echo text files. Um, And uh, tune in tomorrow, folks, for another exciting episode of Hacker Public Radio. Thanks a lot, Ken. No problem. Hello there. I'm Prudence, and I am very matter-of-fact HSMM voice. It's Thursday, 18th of September, 2014. This is HPR episode 1599, entitled Interview with Ingmar Steiner from the Merry TTS Project. It is hosted by Ken Fallon and is about 86 minutes long. Feedback can be sent to Ken Fallon I or by leaving a comment on this episode. The summary is... Ken interviews Ingmar Steiner from the Merry Text-to-Speech Project. Hello there, I'm Prudence and I am very matter-of-fact unit selection voice. It's Thursday 18th of September 2014. This is HPR episode 1599 entitled Interview with Ingmar Steiner from the Merry TTS Project. It is hosted by Ken Fallon and is about 86 minutes long. Feedback can be sent to Ken Fallon I or by leaving a comment on this episode. The summary is... Ken interviewing Moss Steiner from the Merry Text to Speech Project. I'm Spike HSMM Voice. It's Thursday, 18th of September 2014. This is HPR episode 1599 entitled Interview with Ingmar Steiner from the Merry TTS Project. It is hosted by Ken Fallon and is about 86 minutes long. Feedback can be sent to Ken Fallon I or by leaving a comment on this episode. The summary is... Ken interviews Ingmar Steiner from the Murray Text to Speech Project. Hi, I'm Spike Unit's Election. It's Thursday, 18th of September 2014. This is HPR episode 1599 entitled Interview with Ingmar Steiner from the Murray TTS Project. 
It is hosted by Ken Fallon and is about 86 minutes long. Feedback can be sent to Ken Fallon I by leaving a comment on this episode. The summary is... Ken interviews Ingmar Steiner from the Merry Text to Speech Project. Hi, I'm Poppy HSMM Voss. It's Thursday, 18th of September 2014. This is HPR episode 1599 entitled Interview with Ingmar Steiner from the Merry TTS Project. It is hosted by Ken Fallon and is about 86 minutes long. Feedback can be sent to Ken Fallon I or by leaving a comment on this episode. The summary is, Ken interviews Ingmar Steiner from the Merry Text to Speech Project. Hi, I'm Poppy Unit Selection Voice. It's Thursday 18th of September 2014. This is HBR episode 1599 entitled Interview with Ingmar Steiner from the Merry TTS Project. It is hosted by Ken Fallon and is about 86 minutes long. Feedback can be sent to Ken Fallon or by leaving a comment on this episode. The summary is Ken interviews Ingmar Steiner from the Merry Text to Speech Project. Hello, my name is Obadiah HSMM Voice. It's Thursday 18th of September 2014. This is HPR episode 1599 entitled Interview with Ingmar Steiner from the Merry TTS Project. It is hosted by Ken Fallon and is about 86 minutes long. Feedback can be sent to Ken Fallon I or by leaving a comment on this episode. The summary is, Ken interviews Ingmar Steiner from the Merry Text to Speech Project. Hello, my name is Obadiah, the unit selection voice. It's Thursday, 18th of September 2014. This is HPR episode 1599 entitled Interview with Ingmar Steiner from the Merry TTS Project. It is hosted by Ken Fallon and is about 86 minutes long. Feedback can be sent to Ken Fallon I or by leaving a comment on this episode. The summary is Ken interviews Ingmar Steiner from the Merry Text to Speech Project. This is CMUSLTHSMM Voice. It's Thursday, 18th of September 2014. This is HPR episode 1599 entitled Interview with Ingmar Steiner from the Mary TTS Project. It is hosted by Ken Fallon and is about 86 minutes long. Feedback can be sent to Ken Fallon I or by leaving a comment on this episode. The summary is, Ken interviews Ingmar Steiner from the Merry Text-to-Speech Project. Hello, I am the CMURMSHSMM voice. It's Thursday, 18th of September 2014. This is HPR episode 1599 entitled Interview with Ingmar Steiner from the Merry TTS Project. It is hosted by Ken Fallon and is about 86 minutes long. Feedback can be sent to Ken Fallon I or by leaving a comment on this episode. The summary is, Ken interviews Ingmar Steiner from the Merry Text to Speech Project. Hello, I am the CMUBDLHSMM voice. It's Thursday, 18th of September 2014. This is HPR episode 1599 entitled Interview with Ingmar Steiner from the Mary TTS Project. It is hosted by Ken Fallon and is about 86 minutes long. Feedback can be sent to Ken Fallon I or by leaving a comment on this episode. The summary is, Ken interviews Ingmar Steiner from the Mary Text to Speech Project. Hello, I am the defaulty speak voice, and you're stuck with me until one of you can make a easy command line application from the Merit TTS voices. Ha ha ha. This is me laughing.
You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website or record a follow-up episode yourself. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license.